Hi there. I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of livehealthy.ae, and this is the livehealthy.ae podcast. Each week, we will interview leaders in the UAE's health and wellness community, and we'll explore topics you read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women. And now it's time to meet this week's guest. Okay, so today on the Live Healthy podcast, we have Joey Gazelle. He's a restaurateur, often recognized as a top independent restaurateur in the region, in the region, um, you know, on uh, media lists. And he's the founder of the Maine New England Brasserie Company, which has three restaurants: um, the original Maine at JBR, uh, a location in Dubai Studio City, and um, a new location at Zaha Hadid's Magnum Opus Hotel in Business Bay that you opened on. June 1st, when most people were just thinking about opening the restaurants that they already had, you opened a new restaurant. So we'll talk about that. And uh, Joey's a fellow Canadian, a serious influencer. He's a very positive force uh, on social media and in person and in business. And he's also super fit and healthy. So <laughs> we'll talk about all that. Welcome, Joey. It's so nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I was really interested because, and you got some media coverage for this, but on May 26th, you posted this awesome video on Instagram of just you in your office saying, you know, that you were scared, um, but that you didn't want to imagine a world without restaurant and restaurants and bars. And you sort of called on people to focus on the positive. And I just wondered what sort of compelled you to put that up. Well, I'd only really been hearing terrible sort of news up to that point. You know, there was a lot of kind of fear mongering that was happening. There was a lot of sort of scorched earth articles out there about how, you know, the world has changed beyond recognition. And I was like, no, hold on a second. I mean, we're still, you know, we're still social creatures. We're still going to want to go out. We're still going to want to, you know, um, uh, experience uh, hospitality and service and, and socialize with other people. Uh, and we need to find our way through this. I mean, it's not going to define... Uh, us uh, as, a, as a species, you know, we're not going to change. So we need to just learn to live with it, basically. That was the point of the whole thing. Um, and really to just sort of try to get people moving again, because uh, I had been speaking to a lot of people and some people were genuinely afraid. And I had been thinking for a long time how um, I could kind of come out with a positive message and also a message that we've been thinking about how we can implement safety measures that would make people feel safer um, and, and how essentially we were all going to live with this new normal. We just had to figure it out. I mean, you're not gonna hide in your apartment for you know, forever. And some people really didn't have, hadn't really thought it through. I think that's, that's the, the, the core of the message is that, is that you know, you're not, you're not gonna just hide from the world forever. You're gonna have to, you're gonna to have to come out at some point. And, and we're all responsible and we're all uh, you know, adults and we all are educated and we can read and we know what the facts are. And, and you know, it's, we, we, we have to take matters into our own hands, essentially. And you mentioned in there that you, know, you were reading that the industry was gonna be decimated and figures like 75% of restaurants are gonna reopen. How in the face of that, did that not ring true to you? 
how in the face of that do you sort of go on? Look, I mean, uh, the numbers don't lie. Uh, Dubai is already a restaurant that has one of the highest um, uh, number of restaurants per capita. I think we have something like 11,000 uh, restaurants in the city, which is, which is greater than the number of restaurants in Manhattan. Um, and, you know, what surprised me is that people don't realize how many people, 10% of the population of the city is actually employed by the hospitality industry, hotels and restaurants. So, you know, that's a huge number of people. That's something in the region of about 200,000 people that are employed by restaurants. So when you start reading these articles about restaurants going out of business, hotels closing down, uh, you, you can't help get a little bit afraid. Um, there, there for sure is going is a correction in the market. You know, there was an oversupply. Uh, there were some restaurants that were not you know, properly thought out, that were not well-funded, that didn't choose the right locations, that didn't have a solid business model to begin with, um, that will suffer indefinitely. Um, but I guess that's sort of part of the process is that, uh, you know, like all things, like all crises, and we've been through crises before in 2008 and in other times, uh, when there when there is a correction in the market, you know those that that are well capitalized have a compelling story. You know, uh, you know, know how to loyalize their customers, know how to create fidelity, uh, will be able to survive. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's a scary number. I don't know if it's as high if it's as high as seventy percent. You know, that kind of I didn't really buy into that whole fear fear mongering, but uh, there definitely is. Uh, a serious problem that needed to be looked at. And I mean, I felt it myself because, you know, we were employing um, over 140 people ourselves. Okay. And, you know, when you have a, a crisis like this, you have to think about how you can, you know, obviously become leaner. Um, you know, we're like a family. So obviously you have to make a lot of very uncomfortable decisions about what you do with the team. Um, and I'm quite proud of the fact that we didn't, actually let anyone any permanent staff go um you know we kept uh we kept a core team of about a, a half the number of people about 70 people and we spread them out over the three restaurants okay some people chose to go back to their home country so obviously we provided them the tickets back home some people chose to stay and take some time off and obviously we, we, we provided them with accommodation allowance and whatever it is uh to make sure that they're you know, in a wait and hold mode until we onboard them. Um, but it is the summer in Dubai. It is a more limited kind of capacity. You know, the, the city, you know, the city sort of the whole world, not even just the city, the whole world is going through kind of an adjustment period now. Um, but so far, the results have been encouraging. I think people want to get out, you know, and those that said that they would absolutely not get out are starting to, you know, come out. They're starting to feel a bit more comfortable because they're seeing other people are, you know, um, are taking this first step, as I said, and uh, no, I'm, 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 ha I'm very optimistic now. Yeah. So, what are you seeing? You've been open now for uh, a couple of weeks. What are you seeing? You're, you're not at thirty. It's fifty percent in Dubai. Is it? Um, well, the law says a hundred percent, but still with, with, the, with the spacing between the tables. Okay. So, as long as you have the layout to be able to do that. Uh, but essentially, we're keeping it around 50, 60% to make sure that we have some tables that are unoccupied and people really feel like they have their own space and boundaries uh, where, um, you know, they, they don't feel that they have people uh, 
they, they don't know sort of in their, in their zone or their space. We did a lot of safety measures. We implemented uh, disinfection gates at the restaurants. I had done a safety video sort of advising people that they could follow through the sequence of service uh, to kind of maintain a more invisible service, you know, only one waiter at the table at any given time, uh, you know, reducing contact services by reprinting menus onto the table maps, which are disposable, um, you know, uh, trying to, trying to sh show people everything in plain sight that, you know, sort of disinfection, sanitization is happening regularly um, in front of people so that they feel a bit more sort of secure that, you know, you're thinking, you're thinking this through. And you're seeing your customers coming back and you're seeing new, what are you seeing in the restaurant? They are, they are coming back. But like I said, it's sort of, it's polar, right? So some people, some people really were ready to get out. Some people really don't care. <laughs> and, and some people are, are more afraid. I mean, last night was a Sunday night at the new restaurant. And, you know, it was, it was a different client. It was a client that it was their first time coming out after three months. And they particularly chose a Sunday night because they knew that it'd be very, you know, more quiet than let's say the weekend. And they chose to come out and have a date night and sort of to live a little bit. It's good for the soul, you know, to get out and music and so on. And um, so people are navigating or finding their own way through. What's the vibe like? Like, do you, does it feel celebratory? Does it like compared to you know when things were normal when when you survey the restaurant? What do you what do you feel? I feel like everyone in the world shared this common experience. And, and, and somehow we all lived through this common experience and there's sort of this shared empathy that we have for each other that, you know, this was, this was rough, this was hard. This tested, you know, uh, all of our limits. And I wouldn't go as far as saying celebratory, but I would, I would say that there's really a moment of, of appreciation for what we went through and coming out of it. And I think that that's really the key. There really hasn't been a world event, I think, like this. Yes. So, so it's the magnitude of it is felt and you feel, you know, and then you look around and obviously the way you're wearing masks and gloves and you, you're always reminded that we're still living through this, this thing, but, but we, will, we will live through it. We're gonna get through it. And that I think that there's almost like a sense of accomplishment, really, in the fact that we um, we're learning to to live through this. And you opened a new restaurant, so when this all was coming down, was there a thought, okay, we better not? Like, how did walk me through that? Because that's so unusual to open a new restaurant. I mean, it's all yeah. unusual, but <laughs> yeah. So the main, uh, you know, as you know, started in 2014. We opened the first one in JBR, the second one in Studio City, and the third one uh, was always meant to open in Business Bay. But the project was delayed. I've been working on it a long time. And obviously, I had no intention of, you know, I never imagined that I would be opening the restaurant in, uh, during a crisis like this. But uh, the restaurant was actually ready the week before we went into lockdown. Okay. You know, had, and I had a full team hired, and I was ready to go. And then, you know, uh, the universe didn't allow us to open. So, so that was rough. And then obviously, yes, I did think, is it the right time to open, you know, directly after this? We don't really know what to expect. Uh, like I said, a lot of people that I've been speaking to really were adamant that they would not be leaving their houses. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think there is a trust that people have built with the brand over the years. 
Um, and I did think a lot about how we can get people moving again and sort of reinforce that trust uh, in the brand. And coming out with a new restaurant seemed important. I didn't want to wait until September or October uh, to open. Um, and, and so for us, it, it, it made sense to at least take the risk. And anyway, it's a summer, it's limited capacity. And um, it forced us in a way to go back to basics and really to, to focus sort of one client at a time, one table at a time, really kind of get into a lot, sort of a slower, more purposeful service. Um, and do a lot of sort of things that we've always wanted to do, but maybe because we were too busy, we didn't get to do like table side service and certain kinds of more personalized theatrical elements in the service that we wanted to do before, but couldn't because, you know, maybe we're just for, because of capacity. Really. So it was, um, it was almost, it's almost like an extended soft opening, you know, opening at the time. Um, so I'm actually glad that we did open. And people are just happy to be back at work. And I mean, that's the key, right? Right. It's, it's just, I mean, the team just, the team being at home, was, they were lost. They needed, they needed to go back to, and a lot of these people have been with me for, for over five years. So um, I needed to get people back. How did you communicate with them during that time? Like you must've been doing a lot of sort of counseling almost with your stuff. Well, I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, there's, there's a lot of us. So it's a lot of sort of WhatsApp groups and, and emails going out on a weekly basis, sort of giving updates. But at a certain point, I didn't even have updates. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I mean, you run out of things to talk about because you're like, well, I don't really know where this is going. I mean, this is, um, it's, it's hard to, to stay optimistic. It's hard to, stay um you know positive i i had some dark moments during the lockdown i'm not gonna lie i mean it's it's you start thinking about you know where's my life going what you know what have you know you start thinking about all these different things and, and you can't allow yourself to think that way but it's very hard not to I mean, let's be honest we're all human um and also trying to you know i remember when the lockdown first happened everyone got into this hyper productivity learning a new language and everybody suddenly became you know an at-home chef and um you know it did sort of taken on three or four major projects uh, at home um and that's important to kind of keep your mind busy but at the same time it was also good to pause right and to not and to really just sort of think about um what you really wanted and and so on and i think you know that's different people got different things out of it is that more the route you went the pause i mean aside from taking care of business stuff no i mean i did a bit of i mean i, I i've been working on a cookbook for a while so we're launching the main cookbook whoa, whoa. Um, when when are you doing that i want to do it i mean i'd like to launch it uh in the last quarter of this year coinciding with our fifth year anniversary of the main Mr. bar and grill in jbr okay. um but it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work than I thought it would be. Um, I started learning Spanish. I'd always wanted to learn a new language, um, and I started to do some some little cooking segments for various different publications. But but basically, um, as a person, it's very hard for me to sit still. You know, I'm a very very I, you know I always like to be moving, and I have actually uh, you know it's hard to admit that. But I, since 2010, I've do, I've opened ten restaurants. I opened a restaurant a year in the last 10 years. And that's an enormous amount of work and stress. And, and I needed a break. I wish the break had been on a, in a shack on a beach somewhere, uh, you know, but 
it ended up being a break at home. But it's it's good, you know, we live such busy lives. I think it's good to just take some time out. And when you had dark days, what did you do to sort of pull yourself out of that? Because I think they're still going on for a lot of people, you know, like those, that, that uncertainty. Absolutely. It is, there is a lot of uncertainty. A lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people have lost their savings. Uh, a lot of people really have to recalibrate and pivot and think about sort of their next steps. A lot of people are having to take a couple of steps back. But I've been, I, you know, speaking from experience, I've been through very big life shifts before. I feel like every decade, my personal life has, you know, crumbled, uh, has imploded, and I've been forced to uh, reassess and realign. It's happened to me at least three times in my life. Right. And sort of if I have a message of advice for anybody, it would be that uh, I know it seems like it's the end, but it's not. You know, it's, it's, it's a minute to uh, recalibrate and to reassess your priorities and think what is important and to go back a few steps just to sort of re-energize. And I promise you, you will propel forward at least 10 steps forward. You know, I think people people don't realize, you know, I'm an, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. And the life of an entrepreneur is an extremely um, risk, risky life. You know, I can't tell you the amount of projects that I've invested years in that didn't come to fruition or projects that I invested so much time in that didn't end up sort of giving me what I thought that they would. Um, how many times I felt that it was over. You know, it's never really over. You just got to sort of pick yourself up again and just think and, and really take all those life lessons and, and use them for your for your future projects. So it's, um, I think it's, it's also about a mental state. I think you have to remain mentally kind of realistic. Can't be so hard on yourself. I think you need to uh, keep it, stay healthy, have a balanced life. You know, um, you need to do things like work out. <laughs> it seems silly, but, you know, just a simple act of, of exercising, you know, the blood flow to your brain really changes your mood. You know, sitting in a dark room uh, in silence is not helpful. Um, you know, allowing your mind to only focus on the negative is not helpful. You know, picking up a hobby or... Uh, thinking about something that you've always wanted to do, you know, and using the time that you have now when maybe, you know, you're out of work or you're at home or whatever, to do that is extremely cathartic. And people don't, and I know it seems like a lot, but just it's actually little baby steps. And, and, you, and it's funny how much your diet and your mental space and just exercising can, can change your whole outlook on things. But it starts with admitting that, you can't control everything. But I think that's the core of it. I mean, people people seem to have deluded themselves into thinking that everything's within their control, and it's not. So sometimes you just gotta let go of the wheel. You know, you really do. You just need to let go of the wheel, see where the chips are gonna fall, and trust that when the timing is right, that you will be able to pick yourself up and, and sort of take those life lessons and, and start again. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had to do that. I really. I'm not joking when I tell you that I've had to do that at least four times in my life. And it's, it's always proven to, it always worked out in the end. And, and you know, even, no matter how dark it got. Okay. 
That's very inspiring, Joy. I feel like I feel inspired right now. Um, now I'm not making it up. It's it's uh, yeah. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, that's really nice to hear from you. Um, not many people will admit things have crumbled before, you know. Like that's something that people oh. don't often like to talk about. Entrepreneurs, <laughs> it's very commonplace. I mean, the amount of contracts that you've negotiated that didn't, you know, the partners you've chosen that were wrong, projects you chose that didn't end up, you know. Uh, working out, um, it's just decisions you made that in retrospect, maybe you should have made others and, right. you know, events. I mean, I was, you know, I was in London in 2011 and during my, uh, 2001, sorry, during 9-11. Um, you know, I was in, I was in Montreal during the financial crash. Uh, I was in Beirut during the Syrian war and my movements have been very directly affected by world events that were completely outside of my control. Right. So, you know, um, this, is, this is not something new to me. Yeah. How did you, is there a way to describe how you ended up in Dubai? Well, I actually grew up in Dubai. I was in Dubai during the okay. 80s and 90s. Okay. My father worked, he worked at the airport. So I went to Dubai College and Dubai English Speaking School. So I, my family had been in Dubai until 2005. I went to study in university in Montreal and started my career in Montreal. Um, and ended up back in Beirut because my father had retired in Beirut. And when things didn't work out in Beirut, because I'd made a lot of those decisions that didn't work out, like I'm saying, um, I, I decided to give Dubai one last shot. But I'd been coming back and forth to Dubai over the years, but I never imagined myself living here. So it was really just, it was really just a, a last shot in the Middle East before I went back to Montreal. I had said to myself that, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I tried a couple of different things in Dubai when I came here. Uh, I worked for a concept development company. Um, and then the location of the main, the first main in JBR was presented to me and it just sort of hit me. Um, but it took me a while. I spent about, I spent about two years in Dubai trying various things, absorbing what was going on in the market in terms of the F&B scene, thinking about what I wanted to say, thinking about what was missing. I'm thinking about what I could bring to the, to the scene that would be markedly different. Right. And, but, but you, again, you have to sort of, you have to be in this very still place to be able to really see what is really going on and sort of cut through the noise and get down to the sort of the bare bones of it. Um, I've been opening restaurants. I mean, I've opened 24 restaurants over the last 20 years right. for myself and for others. Um, so oh, I know how to open a restaurant. I know how to design a restaurant. I know, but, but it's more about, in this case, it's more about sort of what kind of restaurant, what kind of experience, what kind of positioning, you know, what kind of style, because I designed it myself also. Um, that's, that's really the kind of the, the thing you really, because it's, it's so much an extension of yourself, of your personality. Um, that you have to be pretty sure about what you're doing um, and, and confident about what you have to say. Yep, you've got this whole team to convince that this is going to work out, that this is what you're thinking yeah. is going to actually work. Well, that's the key, right, is that, is that you st even now, I mean, with three restaurants, I spend my days convincing everyone. It's exhausting a bit. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that the thing when you said you were presented with the location at, at JBR, it's Interesting that you were into it because it's a beautiful location, but you enter through a, a parking garage, which Correct. I think a lot of people would, would just discount outright. It would be like, well, that's never going to work, right? 
if people had said no to the location before, yeah. one party actually put a deposit in the location, did the designs, and then backed out because they were convinced it would never work. But when I saw it, when it was presented to me, they were presenting it to me very, almost like they were shy to show it to me. You know, they were like, this is all we have. We know it's not great, but this is what it is. And I remember arriving to the location and the delivery truck, this location sandwiched between the garbage room of the hotel and the delivery of the hotel. So literally on any given day, you'll go there and there's trucks of food and vegetables and meat and fish, just sort of, you know, and also the, 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 the trash is being taken out. And it's just, it's a mess. But when I saw it, it was sort of in the height of that mess. And I thought to myself, this is, this is so authentic and real. This is really, <laughs> this is what we're missing. You're not walking through a shiny lobby. You're not, you know, you're not walking through a mall. This is what life is. This is, you know, this is what it's supposed to be. So I, I immediately fell in love. That is so cool that you thought that because when you, you are thinking all those things, like what's going on? And then you emerge into this beautiful place and it is so much different than walking into any other restaurant through a beautiful hotel. A lot of my restaurant concepts are, are about creating, disarming people, creating this sort of false expectation. You don't know what to expect. So because so, you're walking through this sort of strange arrival um, and then you sort of come into this almost this contrary space. Um, and, and what I love is also juxtaposing the glamour elements. I mean, we call it like New England extravagance, whether it's chandeliers or marble or terrazzo tiles or leather or whatever it is. Um, with this kind of almost warehousey industrial underground space. I love juxtaposing those two styles. And I think that's where the drama comes from. It almost feels like a movie set, like as if you're sort of stuck in these elements into, into a, a soundstage. That is what going, sorry about that. That is what, uh, that is what going into one of your restaurants feels like. Now I saw one of your videos where you were talking about streamlining the menu and adding more plant-based items. And it's, you know, you're heavy on the steak and shellfish and seafood. Is plant-based, I mean, you know, it's everywhere now, but where is that fitting in? How much of a demand is there for that? Is it, where are you at with that? Well, the, the main reason why, there were several reasons why I wanted to introduce a plant-based menu. First of all, there isn't, there isn't a, a licensed multi-unit restaurant um, called a premium casual or fine dining restaurant that has created a plant-based menu. I think, I think we're probably the first. But you will always find vegetarian items or maybe some plant-based items on the menu, but nobody has dedicated a section in their menu to plant-based items. And we're committed to growing that section, um, number one. Number two, um, I can't tell you the amount of times that I personally go out for dinner and sit at a group, you know, with a group of people that at least two or three of them really don't want to eat uh, either fish or meat. Um, and so, you know, I can almost see the, the chefs and the waiters scrambling to create something for, for that party. And I, I didn't like that. I, I wanted that to, to, to be thought out and uh, to have purpose and to have a, a, a you know, prominence on the menu. Third of all, I think, you know, in this time of COVID, I think a lot of people started to pay a lot of attention to, um, you know, at least introducing a more balanced diet, introducing more plant-based dishes into their diet. Um, and I personally uh, took it as a challenge onto myself to, to have less meat and less fish. And if I can have at least two or three days a week where I don't have any of that in my diet, um, I would be very happy. Now, it's a challenge. Uh, and it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time. 
it's a challenge because uh, to create dishes at a restaurant quality level, um, you really need to understand sort of how to create certain sauces. You need to understand how to use nut-based butters. You need to really get into a different almost level of, of, of cooking. Um, and, and I like the challenge. And I actually, I actually had a lot of fun doing this. And I'm very proud of what we've come up with. And, uh, and people are loving. People are loving. Uh, I, I can honestly tell you that we have almost 20% of the people that have been coming over the last three weeks that are going for the finals. Really? Can yes. you just tell me a few items? Just one or two? Well, one of the most popular items is an item called the no meat short rib. And uh, it's actually made with beyond the plant-based meat, beyond uh, meat. And it's, it's almost an identical dish to our short rib. And I remember the other day we actually had a table and the gentleman had the short rib and the lady had the, the Beyond Meat. And they both sort of switched around the dishes and, and they, they sometimes they couldn't tell the difference, so that they were both very good. Mm. Okay. And um, made with garlic um, and kale chips and with a vegetable jus and with vegan wine. People don't know this, but actually a lot of wine has animal products in it, so vegan wine and um, and a truffled mash that doesn't have any butter and so on. So it's it's um, I'm very proud of that dish because it's it's also a very hearty dish. And I think that people think that when you have plant-based food, you can have something that isn't going to fill you up, and that's just not true. Okay, that's yeah. that sounds amazing. I um, I'm going to put that on my top list of things right. to work. Um, How I need to get plant-based desserts, which is another challenge oh. that I'm working, which is a whole other. Uh, which is a whole other. We're, 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 we need to be, need to be patient with us. It's, it's, it's a new world we're delving into. Well, you don't want to have something that's not amazing, right? Because if someone decides to try a, a vegan dessert or a plant-based dessert and it's not there, then it's just going to reinforce probably. Well, that's the key. I mean, you don't just want to put something for the sake of putting something. You need to, you need to make sure that it's really amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of mediocre vegan desserts out there. Well, desserts probably, anyway. I knew I said it earlier, is that, you know, People who are vegan or vegetarian feel like they have to go to some, you know, little hole in the wall cafe, I don't know where. But now they can actually come to a restaurant with a proper bar and music and, and sit with their friends and, and not feel like they're ostracized or, yeah. or you know, feel like they're marginalized. <laughs> part uh, of, yeah. Right, they're part of the society now. Now how, you're, so you're very healthy and fit, obviously. You... How do you stay that way in an industry that is just so notoriously decadent and about excess? And, you know, what's your routine? What's your sort of, what's your deal? How do you do it? With great difficulty. <laughs> it's not that easy because I... Sorry to interrupt, but the hours in restaurants as well are just sort of all over the place. Right, absolutely. I mean, I also go through cycles. So every time I'm opening a new restaurant, the amount of tasting, the amount of, you know, hosting that I have to do. So I'm always sitting at a dinner with people eating and drinking at all hours of the day and night and it's 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 very difficult to maintain that discipline so the key is is balance you know everything in moderation really um the key is to get the workout you know whether it's your cardio or whatever it is early enough in the day um because there's always something that comes up in the afternoon and you think you're going to do it but you never do and as long as you sort of start your um, your day that way, I think you know it's 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 
it's controllable. Um, so, I mean, there are certain little things that I do if you really want to know about my life, my personal. Yeah, I mean, I. What's your What's your main three things? My main headlines is is how I start my day. I mean, I start my day with with lemon water and and uh, apple cider vinegar. Mm -hmm. uh, I do cardio for minutes. Um, or I work you? out. Sorry. I do cardio. I do cardio for about forty five minutes. Okay. Um, but nothing too intense. I do uphill walking, uh, or I do some stairs. Um, you know, just to keep the heart rate up, and I always keep the sort of the fat burning at a certain. Kind of, and then I eat. So I'll eat a little bit of protein. Or I will eat, um, you know, some fats like, uh, you know, half an avocado or whatever it is. Uh, and then I, I actually eat more often during the day, smaller portions. So the key is instead of having sort of two or three big meals where you're feeling really heavy and sleepy and lethargic after, the key is to have four or five, six smaller meals. So it's really more about portion control. Um, and then staying away from meals late at night, so beyond 7 p.m. Um, heavy meals and, and staying away from certain combinations of meals, you know, sort of meat and potatoes and, you know, and, and, a, and a big bottle of bread is, is maybe not the meal you should be having at 11 p.m. Okay. So you you're know? more likely to eat through the meat veg combination, keep your starches separate. Yeah, okay. And it's really about portion control. It's, it's just about knowing how to keep your portions uh, down and starting your day in the right way. I think that's, these are the two sort of keys that I've learned. I tried a lot of different things. I tried uh, intermittent fasting. Um, I've tried, you know, all kinds of manners of, of you know, diets. And, but really, it's, it's not about any of that. I think that that's all nonsense. It's really just about having balance. Okay. Did you lose muscle during the um, COVID? Some, a lot of people are talking about losing muscle. Yeah, of course. Of course you do. Um, first of all, working out at home was almost impossible for me. I don't know how to do that. Um, and, and finding the mental, you know, uh, determination to, to do that at home was, was very difficult. So it's nothing new. I mean, it's, uh, I'm really happy to, to be going back to the gym now and uh, working out properly. Yeah. Um, but, but to be honest with you, um, food is about 70% of it. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of food, we talked years ago, four or five years ago, about Putin. Putin, which is a Canadian. I don't think I ever say it right, even though I'm Canadian, right? Well, how do you say it? Putin. Putin, um, which is a, a grossly unhealthy meal of uh, French fries and gravy and cheese curds. And then it, it blew up and they were putting all sorts of things on. You had it at the main. Do you still have it? Or? So, you do. You do. All kinds of variations. Okay. Uh, even have a vegan one. Come on. Yeah. So vegan cheese, vegetable jus, and French fries. Okay. But um, but yeah, it is a it is a dish that feels like a very it's gravy and potatoes with with squeaky cheese, and it seems like a very good idea at three a.m. in the morning after a big night out. Um, also seems like a good idea when it's minus thirty degrees outside. Yeah. Uh, but but. We do have it in different variations. We have it with lobster. We have it with short rib. Um, we have it with foie gras. Uh, or we just have the classic. And and people love it. And it's a proper uh, poutine uh, because we've imported the cheese curds actually from a little fromagerie in Quebec. So it's, uh, it's, it's the real deal. Okay. Well, if you want a treat, that is a very delicious treat to have. You might be a little sleepy after that's all. 
right? <laughs> Listen, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for talking to me today and, and um, speaking to us for the podcast. It's really been inspiring. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. And I hope to see you soon. I know. I'm going to come up. I'm going to come up to that restaurant. I'm dying to. Well, as soon as I can travel to uh, Dubai, right? Right. <laughs> oh, I thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Have a good day. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the livehealthy.ae podcast.